0: In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we find that in 1 John 1. And, of course, as we celebrate our Lord's birth, we also know that uh, in Bethlehem was born this, uh, the Word, the Logos, the Son. For unto you this day was born in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And that is what we celebrate Today, on Christmas Day, we celebrate the birth of our Savior. So let's take just a few seconds for our own personal spiritual uh, preparation, and then I'll open us in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we're thankful that we have this day to celebrate our Savior's birth. We celebrate so many things, and we are uh, joyously involved in um, a celebration of other events. But this is truly the event of human history. His birth, his death, his resurrection. Because it is, in fact, the, the pinnacle of human history as far as the strategic victory of the angelic conflict And we also know, Father, that because of the strategic victory, that simply by believing in our Lord's perfect and finished work on the cross, that we have eternal life. And that eternal life ensures us, guarantees us, our life with you forever. So we're thankful for your love for us that provides for us a plan, a plan that sends your Son to this earth. And the fact that uh, he loved us immeasurably as well, going to the cross to pay for our sins, resolving the sins that, that we commit. We pray, Father, that not only would we be the welcome recipient of the blessings and joy that goes with this, but that we would find and have a passion to tell others, Father, who realize that there is a God, that they that they have a need, but need simply someone to give them the truth of the word of God, of the gospel. We ask for your blessing tonight as we study our Lord's birth from the books of Matthew and Luke. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, tonight uh, one of our scripture readings is going to come from Luke 1, Luke one twenty six, But What I want to do tonight is a couple things. I was asked not long ago about the chronology of our Lord's birth and early life, and it's a little more difficult uh, to pull it together because it's spread over two different books, but... uh, and because of that it can be just a little bit confusing but the fact remains is that the uh, chronology is there for us and because it's split up between Matthew and Luke actually we start in Luke and then come back to Matthew and then go back to Luke and then back to Matthew so uh, it, because it's split up we sometimes lose some of the uh, the understanding of what's really happening and I think because of that we also end up with Christmas traditions that uh, may not be completely supported from the text or not supported from the text at all. And so it's important for us to uh, have this chronology in mind. Not only that, but uh, going over the chronology certainly takes us through the Christmas story as well. Uh, I just happened to be speaking to a friend of mine, uh, a professional a doctor, earlier in the month, and he knows that I'm a pastor, and he asked me if we were going to have a uh, a service on Christmas Day. He said, I think his actual question was, do you have a uh, a normal or a uh, uh, a Christmas uh, service? And I said, well, we, we have a midweek service. It may not always fall fall on Christmas. And he said, well, this year I think it does. And I said, because I told him it was Wednesday. He said, and I said, yes, that's true. And he said... Um, well, what what will your message be? And I said, well, I'm I'm thinking about that. And he said, well, wouldn't it be about Christ's birth? And I said, well, certainly should be something about that. And he said, you only have... And the way he sort of said this was a little bit... Uh, caught me by surprise. But he said, you know, you only have one day of, of the year to really focus on that. And I thought... Well, that's probably true uh, because there's so much of the Bible that does need to be covered. But So I stopped really thinking and trying to dwell on something maybe uh, different and decided to come back to the Christmas story and talk about what we have. Um, so the Christmas story, the biblical story of our Savior's birth, really is found in the books of Matthew and Luke. So... Let's, let's begin the actual chronology of Jesus' birth. And the place that we start is in the book of Luke. The book of Luke, chapter 1. But the real discussion of his birth, of our Lord's birth, doesn't begin until verse 26. Now, we do have a really wonderful story that Luke tells beginning in verse 5 with the announcement of another birth and that is Zechariah uh, the announcement to Zechariah about a son that would be born to him and his wife Elizabeth and this tends to be uh, overlooked when we get to the uh, to our Lord to the Christmas story simply because he is it it occurs prior to our Lord's birth, but also because he is the, the prophet, we could say, John the Baptist, the prophet that's going to announce our Lord's, uh, his, uh, him as the king. But there's something very important about uh, Elizabeth's pregnancy, which was a normal Pregnancy, although she was considered to be barren and while I say a normal pregnancy we believe that it was a pregnancy simply uh, from a union of Zachariah and Elizabeth but it was uh, a special pregnancy because she had been unable to have children up to that point and so the Lord acts miraculously in Elizabeth's life now The follow-on story is something even more miraculous that happens, of course, in Mary's life. And that is a pregnancy that occurs without any human involvement other than uh, the woman, without a male involvement. But the other uh, important thing about Elizabeth's pregnancy is the timing that it gives us for our Lord's for, for Mary's pregnancy, and helps us to answer some questions. And if we're detectives, sort of uh, working in the text and looking for information and facts, what we often read in uh, Elizabeth's uh, pregnancy, the timing of it, helps us in the, with uh, Mary's as well. But the announcement of the conception of Jesus to Mary is going to be our first point. So uh, the first point is the announcement of the conception of Jesus to Mary. Let's read our text here. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent to God, was sent by God, to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. And One of the the questions that we immediately have to ask of the text as we do our study here is why sixth month? Well, the sixth month is in relation to the previous pregnancy, which is Elizabeth's. So we now know that Elizabeth is in her sixth month, and that's going to be important to us when... We uh, finish this brief uh, passage about Mary. So it's in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee, Nazareth. Well, this is in another part of of Israel. Uh, uh, We know that Zechariah is working in the temple. The temple is down in Jerusalem. So that would be down in Judea. Now we're up in Galilee, so we're now up in the northern portion of Israel instead of the southern portion. And once we have that kind of laid out in our mind, that there's two events here. One is happening down in Judea, in the city of Jerusalem, and the other one is happening up in Galilee, in the city of Nazareth. That separates them for us. So, and it says, now in the sixth month, uh, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. This also identifies the angel Gabriel for us, because he's not identified. We believe it's the same angel who will speak to Joseph. Says that uh, spoke to, uh, was sent by God to a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, and the word here for uh, for uh, virgin, Parthenos is an unmarried woman. And in those days, this would identify her as uh, a virgin. And she's betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And almost in every one of these words, there is more to be learned. And the word here for betrothed is a a little bit different arrangement than we have today in our uh, engagements. But when someone is engaged, that's probably as close as we're going to be able to come in current day terminology to what's happening here as far as a betrothment. But a a betrothal was generally a covenant between the two families so that we have really a marriage contract here. This is not simply an engagement, um, and very often engagements are broken but an, uh, a betrothal was a contract. It was seen as the, uh, generally a year prior to the actual coming together and physical consummation of the marriage, but it was at least a year long, and in which during a period of time the two, uh, the two uh, parties, uh, the, the groom and the bride, would get to know each other. The families... Would draw closer together, and then on the day, the arranged day for the wedding, then they would they, the the actual physical uh, wedding took place. But the important thing that I, that I need to relate here is that this is uh, was considered a contract, so that Joseph later on, it's not simply a matter of well, we'll break the engagement. No for them to separate it's going to take uh, a legal it's going to take legal action so his name was Joseph and he's of the house of David again something that's very important he is in the line of David so to him and his wife would be born royalty that's the significance of this we understand that the virgin's name was Mary and having come uh, come in, And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The word here for favored is another word for grace. And so, Chorus, and we would say that she has received grace. And I think this translation, highly favored one, is probably uh, well selected because someone, if we were to say someone who has... Uh, received grace, then we might end up running afoul of some of the Roman Catholic doctrines when it comes to exactly how she received grace. And there's another question here we have to answer, and that is later on we have Roman Catholic doctrines regarding Mariology that have uh, a, uh, the doctrines that talk about her having received saving or actually Mary's mother receiving saving grace uh, at her conception. So highly favored is probably a, a translation that we can use here. Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, Considered and considered what manner of greeting this was. So Mary is completely unsuspecting here and this was I'm surprised she wasn't even more uh, maybe even frightened over this it just said that she's troubled then the angel said to her do not be afraid Mary for you have for you have found favor with God and behold you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus now we've talked about the name Jesus in the past this is the Greek word Iesus and we would normally therefore call him Jesus or um, a name maybe somewhat similar to that but the Latin the Vulgate translation of Iesus came across as Jesus and so we simply pulled that name into our English translation and we don't transliterate it that's exactly what we probably would have done uh, instead of translating it uh, Jesus or something like that, we have Jesus. And that works just fine. And by the way, this was a fairly common name at that time in um, in Israel. And what's remarkable is that they find that after uh, Jesus' ministry, that the use of the name Jesus became uh, much less commonly used and for two reasons number one the Jews uh, did not want to name those who were uh, did not accept Jesus as the Messiah did not want to name their children Jesus and out of respect Christians uh, hesitated to and I think even today we see very few Christians that will uh, name their their children Jesus so it was a name that was in great use at one time but then, after the uh, special event of our Lord's birth and His ministry, it fell out of use. Um, it says He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. Uh, reference to His character and to the Son, He is going to be character. Uh, his characteristics are going to be like that of the Highest, God the Father, and the Lord, the Lord God. This is a reference to the Father, and the Lord God will give Him the throne of his father David. So um, Mary knows at this time that she is going to have the son of God and this future king. So this is a a wonderful announcement to her. And I believe that there's some would question whether she knew all of the ramifications. And we might say, well... Not sure if she knew all the ramifications, but she certainly understood this part of it that she was going to have uh, this long awaited Messiah. And it says, The Lord Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know, man? See, this was never explained. And. exactly how this might occur, although we could go back to Isaiah 7.14 and read about the, uh, the virgin conception that uh, was, a, was a prophecy. But the angel goes on in verse 35, "...and the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest, God the Father, will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God." Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. So uh, the angel uses the pregnancy of Elizabeth as a little bit of a uh, a test, uh, a proof uh, test for Mary to say Elizabeth is pregnant. Now, Elizabeth doesn't, it wasn't uh, this. Uh, her conception, as I pointed out before, is not uh, virginal, but it was still something that was considered to be impossible. And so she is pregnant and she's in her sixth month. And that's important as we go on. Uh, verse 38, then Mary said, Behold, the handmaiden, the bondservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your words, And the angel departed from her. Now, the very next item on our list, we're going to stay right here. Secondly, uh, Mary visits her relative Elizabeth in Judea, Luke 1:39 through 56. We're not going to read all of that passage, but something that's important here uh, will blend with this passage. And then our next passage, our next point, the announcement of the conception of Jesus to Joseph in Matthew 1, 18-25. So our first three points, the announcement of the conception of Jesus to Mary in Luke 1, 26-38. And secondly, Mary visits her relative Elizabeth in Judea. And three, the announcement of the conception of Jesus to uh, to Joseph in through 25 Now, this helps us, I think, answer a couple questions as we look at uh, Mary's visit with Elizabeth. As we read, jump from 38, which is Mary talking with the angel, and then in verse 39, Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zechariah, and greeted Elizabeth. So she's going to the hill country, to a city of Judah. So she's going south, and you'll notice that it says, now Mary arose in those days, and went. And it says, she goes with haste. So she's in a hurry, to arrive, at the home of Zacharias and Elizabeth. Now, how quickly she departs, is maybe uh, up for some conjecture here, but at least within a few days, and she's in a hurry to get there. And another reason that we know that she left right away is that we're told that this, that, uh, Elizabeth is in her sixth month. Well, without uh, reading through 39 through 55, let's... Go down to verse fifty-six. Verse fifty-six of Luke, Luke one fifty-six says, "And Mary returned, uh, remained with her about three months, and returned to her house." Now look at verse fifty-seven. Verse fifty-seven says, "Now Elizabeth's full time came for her." Uh, now Elizabeth's full time came for her to del- be delivered, and she brought forth a son. So it appears that we have accounted for almost. Every one of these days, um, it's an, there's an announcement to Elizabeth. Six months later, there's an announcement to Mary. She, it appears, immediately leaves to go see Elizabeth. She's there for three months, and she returns at about the time that um, Elizabeth delivers. So if we, if we think about that, we realize that Mary has spent little or no time in Nazareth, since the announcement of her pregnancy, of her conception, we believe the conception happened uh, within a very short time of Gabriel's announcement. So, having read that, let's go to our our next point, point four. <clears throat> well, point three really is what I want: the announcement of the conception of Joseph of Jesus to Joseph let's go to Matthew 1 so let's go back to Matthew 1 that's what I wanted to do first Matthew 1 and Luke uh, being a physician uh, Paul called him the beloved physician uh, was interested in all those facts about Elizabeth about Mary about uh, the fetuses when they were born And so Luke gives us all that. Uh, Matthew was a tax collector and possibly not so interested in those details, but he's he's certainly interested in the details about the Lord Jesus Christ. And beginning in verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother died, Mary was betrothed, and the good word here might be committed. Uh, And gays, as I said, is probably the closest we can get, but um, it still doesn't relate everything that we need. So committed, legally committed, to Joseph, before they came together, officially, we could say, officially married, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make Her, a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. All right, so what do we have here? Uh, I think what's happened, and certainly not original with me, is that Mary receives the announcement from Gabriel. At the same time, she's also told about Elizabeth. Well, that's joyful news to her about Elizabeth. And I think any woman who. uh, finds themselves pregnant, wants to tell someone, tell her friends, tell everybody, maybe. But Mary is an unmarried woman. To whom is she going to tell this? Well, I think she departs immediately and goes to see Elizabeth, to whom she can talk about this event. Therefore, I think that no one back in Nazareth knows anything about the pregnancy. She's up and gone without saying a word. I mean, to what lengths would she have to go to explain what she'd seen and what had happened and, and everything about this? But she wants to talk to someone, so it says that she goes with haste. Yes, she has information and she wants to talk about it and she needs someone with whom she can converse and she goes all the way to elizabeth she's there for three months so before she leaves i think no one is the wiser on her way back she's probably depending upon the kind of clothes she's wearing probably uh beginning to exhibit her pregnancy but if she's wearing fairly loose uh clothing that still may not be noticeable but when she arrives back she knows one thing. She needs to tell Joseph. And so she tells Joseph. And here we see Joseph then in a conundrum. And I think that when we read this, and it says, then Joseph, her husband being a just man, and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. What does that tell us? That I think that tells us, that he knows no one else knows. He doesn't want to make a public example of her. So no one else knows this yet. No one is walking around pointing or whispering about Mary and Joseph or about Mary. So Joseph now is thinking, how can I handle this privately? So it's not going to bring shame on Mary. Well, God solves the problem for him. and We can all probably see Joseph maybe. I don't know if he was in prayer about this we're not told that but Joseph has a problem you know Mary she has a husband Joseph well Joseph now is thinking this is quite a a fantastic story that an angel appears to her and says you know you're going to be pregnant by God the Holy Spirit then Joseph is thinking you know I love Mary but uh, I I can't marry a pregnant woman I don't have any idea this is true. I don't know what would have caused it. I don't know if she's hallucinating. I don't know what the problem is. And so he's saying, I, I, want, to, I want to resolve this quietly so no one will know then. But while he thought about the, these things, behold, an angel, I believe that this, of course, is Gabriel. We've got him appearing three months later. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, Son of David, do not be afraid to take to you, and this would be to Mary, because we'll see later on he's not going to uh, consummate the marriage until after the birth of this child. Take to you, Mary, uh, you may wed. Maybe we could use that word so it's not quite as difficult to read. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to wed Mary, your wife, For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. This is exactly what he told Mary. So he's confirming the story that Mary has probably told Joseph. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus again, Jesus. For he will save, he will deliver his people from their sins. And uh, the name Jesus is the Greek name, which is very similar to the Hebrew word uh, Joshua, Yeshua, which, and they have the same meaning, which means he that delivers or the deliverer or something of that nature. For he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, married her, and did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he was obedient here, and he calls his name Jesus. All right. Now, we have here in, in Matthew sort of a summary of a period of time of what is told to Joseph and what he does. But we know that we have information. Here it just tells us that uh, the son was born and he names him jo- uh, Jesus. But we actually have more information. But we can't, we can't glean it from Matthew. We have to go back to Luke. So keep in mind all that I've said. And let's look at point five here. Excuse me, I've got four up. The trip to Bethlehem and the birth of Jesus in Luke Two. and again uh, marking this in your Bible sometimes helps a little bit because you can go back and forth as you're reading the story but now we go to Luke chapter 2 verse 1 and this is now a reference to a trip. We've seen we've seen one trip we've seen, Mary making one trip from Nazareth to Judea and then of course she had to come back. She came back and she's now uh, spoken with her husband, her betrothed Joseph. Joseph's worked his way through this conundrum. He's got a problem and God solves his problem for him. And it's one of those remarkable uh, events that we don't often think of as a problem. But I'm sure Joseph, for Joseph, this was uh, beyond his capability other than, I think I need to divorce her. I need to put her away uh, silently here. And that's what this would be, a divorce, divorcing her for infidelity. But the angel, God provides a solution to him. This is one of the, another one of these marvelous solutions that is involved in this whole story. Uh, so we now come to uh, verse 1 of chapter 2 in Luke. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Now we could go through a historical account here of what's going on, but essentially we simply have a fact that in the Roman Emperor, in the Roman Empire, there was going to be a census. And the easiest way for them to take a census was for everyone to go to their, the seat of their birth. And so Joseph, who was born, And Bethlehem is going all the way back to Bethlehem. And that's where he needs to register. And he's going to take Mary with him. So it says, this census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. And we've tried to track that down historically. And we have, unfortunately, Quirinius, his name pops up two different times in historical records. And so the question is, which one um, is which one of those is it? And uh, historians are still grappling over that. Verse three. So all went to be registered, every one to his own city. Now Joseph, in verse four, also went up from Galilee, out of the city of David, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. Now, you'll notice that she's with child and he's going up there. Now, the next verse is interesting. So it was that while they were there, the days were complete for her to be delivered. You know, the picture that we have in traditional stories and traditional Christianity is that here's uh, Mary. She's just about to deliver, and Joseph decides, road trip! We need to make a road trip, and this is not going to be in a, you know, a sedan. It's not going to be over nice, smooth roads. It's not going to be a maybe a half-day trip down to Bethlehem. This is going to be a lengthy trip. And we also see the, uh, the urgency of getting there before she delivers. Uh, what, uh, there are so many questions that I would have regarding that. If she's about to deliver, why not wait until she delivers in Nazareth and then go up? You know, give the, the baby a few days uh, and the mother a few days to recover. What is going to be easier here f- for them uh, to travel while she is just about ready to deliver or after she's delivered? But the text seems doesn't seem to say that. It seems to tell us... That they arrive in Bethlehem and then while they are in Bethlehem, her days are completed. And what I believe happens here is that Joseph departs almost as soon as the angel says to him, No, don't be afraid to marry her. So that Joseph who wanted to keep all of this as quiet as possible knows that, all right, she is three months along in her pregnancy. I can marry her, but what? how does that solve a problem of keeping this sort of uh, hushed over? How am I going to uh, say that she's three months premature in her delivery? That's going to be a little bit difficult to do, uh, depending upon when she delivers. So I think before any of this happens... Uh, he says goodbye to his family and to her family, and they depart so that the people in Nazareth are no wiser. And he's going to go up to uh, Bethlehem, and he arrives in Bethlehem, and the the neighbors in Bethlehem or the family in Bethlehem, they don't know anything more than they've been married, and they're, they're coming, and oh, look, isn't this wonderful, she's pregnant. And so... Uh, I think that this is one of the ways that God the Holy Spirit uh, has provided not only a solution to Joseph's problem, but also a social problem. There's not going to be any social problem down in Nazareth. No whispering about Mary being pregnant prior to the uh, the actual marriage ceremony, and they're not going to have to worry about anything of that nature up in Judea either. And so... I think the text tells us that our story of Joseph leading a donkey which we don't have uh, Mary has just made the trip she may want a day or two to rest before she turns right around heads back up to Judea down to yeah up to Judea we would say but she walked to Judea more than likely she walked back and now she and Joseph probably walk back up to Judea while she is about 3 months pregnant and I would imagine the trip at three three months pregnant is probably going to be much easier than uh, at the time of delivery, but I think that that 's exactly what this tells us, so it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in, in a manger because there was no Room, and the word there for room is really the word place. There's no space. There's no place for them in the inn. Now, you'll notice that we're also helped here. I think God, the Holy Spirit, just drops little bits of evidence as we go along. It says, she brought forth her firstborn son. Well, you'll notice it doesn't say her only son. Um, again, we kind of bump up against... Uh, Roman Catholicism here and maybe some other religions that say Mary had one son. That's all she had. She only had one son because she was a virgin throughout the rest of her life, virgin from start to finish. And they explain away the, uh, the birth as a, a virginal birth as well as pregnancy. But this says this is her firstborn son. So Mary is going to have many more children this is simply her firstborn son, um, and I think that God the Holy Spirit again provides that for us. Another clue here, and it says that she laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, the first thing that we that's missing in this story is we don't see them going from door to door asking innkeepers if there's a place, if there's a place, it's, can I can I stay here? The second thing we have to see is that this word in, the word "in" that's used in verse uh, seven, because there was no place for them in the in, is the exact same word that we have over in Luke 22. Turn to hold your finger here and look at Luke 22:11. Luke 2211. Luke 22.11, and what's wonderful about this comparison, I need to pick up the pace here, I don't think this would take as long, is that this is Luke. We're not going to another author. We're staying with the same author. This word is only used twice in the New Testament. And it's used both times by Luke. It's used once in 2.7, and it's used once in 22.11. So, in twenty two eleven we see the Lord is preparing for the Passover, and he says to his to one of his disciples in verse ten, "Behold, when you've entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water, follow him into the house which he enters, follow him into the house which he enters. Then you shall say to the master of the house, the teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples So this is the same same word and Probably the best translation is our second translation, guest room. So the picture we have, and this is so traditional at that period of time, is that Mary and Joseph had traveled to Bethlehem where they were probably staying with relatives. And where would you stay? Well, most homes had several rooms, but they had at least a room where they could clear out and give it to them as a as a room for guests, and we would, we would call it a guest room. Probably a room that they normally might use for uh, uh, other members of the family, children, uh, or a storage room, but they could be converted into a guest room very easily. And so that's where they were. But not only are they in Bethlehem visiting, but there's probably a lot of other people who are relatives of this family in Bethlehem, uh, getting registered, and so there's more than one family in this guest room well it 's so crowded and so non private I guess we could say and while i 've never been you know involved in the birth of a child, I can imagine that uh, women would prefer to have give birth uh, not in the middle of you know ten or fifteen. 20 people, however many people might be there. So in looking for some privacy, there's just not the privacy here, and there's just really not the room to have the child here. So they move out of here. Oh, and by the way, there is another, Luke does have a word for in, and on our way back to Luke 2.7, let's go by, let's stop in in Luke 10.34. Luke ten. Luke 10, verse 34. This is the parable of the Good Samaritan. parable of the Good Samaritan says that the Good Samaritan has had compassion on this individual who has been uh, uh, assaulted. Verse 34. So he went to him and bandaged his wound pouring on oil and wine and he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him and so here we have a completely different word for the word inn this is not the word that that Luke uses so i think the word inn is an inappropriate and unfortunate translation because that gives us this idea of them going from inn to inn we can't there's no room in any of these inns so then we have to go next door or outside to a stable, and that's not what this is telling us. It says because there was no space for them in the inn, and uh, I think I've shown you these pictures before, and this will help us very, very quickly. Uh, it was a uh, a typical Jewish home might look like this. It could be. Uh, a lower area it would generally be possibly it it, many of their the homes that were built were just one level but very often they would have two levels and they would live in the upper part and they'd also be living down down below but down below could easily be converted into a place where they would bring their animals in at night for two reasons in case it was getting Uh, Colder, and they wanted to bring them in out of the chill, or number two, just for protection so that they weren't stolen. This is one of the arrangements they could have. And the upper room living quarters might be up here. Uh, There may be storage down here, and they would have people uh, gathered there. But uh, another example of this is, let's see, I think I've got another... uh, this is probably a better, just a diagram of what they think was probably happening, is that this is uh, the living quarters and it's one level. And in the living quarters, they might have a large living quarters. Other times they'll have maybe a section over here that would be the guest quarters. And then out here, they would have sort of a uh, a, a step up from this the stable area. So this might be, oh, a foot high, two foot high. Sometimes they even say maybe higher than that three foot. But it was high enough, and then they would have these mangers on the top of them. And so what we probably think happens here is that uh, Mary and Joseph decide to move out of the rather crowded living area and go out here where the child is born with some privacy and then the child is placed in a manger uh, a feeding stall and here is a good example of what one of those would look like this is a manger they would uh, just uh, work out an area in the stone or they could make it out of wood where they could put grain or feed and so in this particular case that's probably where uh, the baby was born. So hopefully that that kind of sheds a little bit of light here on what was happening. Now let's go back up here, and I need to move along briskly. So um, now the angels announced the birth to the shepherds. We stay right here in Luke, Luke 2, 8 through 19. Now there were in the, in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, uh, very possibly Gabriel again, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for I bring for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And Christ, here's the word for the same word, the Hebrew word Messiah, which is the anointed one. So this is great news. And this will be the sign to you you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And the word manger here is the one we've had before. It's a feeding trough. That's where he was placed. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly forces, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. So it was, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, now let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. You know, right away, it, the Lord has made known to them. You know, this is an angel, but they realize that this is, this is information that's coming from the Lord. It was special and critical information for them. It's come from the Lord. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And, of course, this is exactly how they ID'd exactly who this was. They, The baby laying in a manger, uh, just recently born. Uh, now, when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying, which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things, which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary gathered and kept. It's sort of an idea of of retaining. She gathered and kept all these things. And it's the word, the Hebrew uh, word is what it is. All these spoken words. And she pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. So, that sort of concludes that portion of it. But we have one more here. Uh, Soon after that, Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day. And we see this in Luke 2.21. So, that's just one verse. Then, we'll see that he's presented in the temple. Seven, Jesus is presented in the temple. Did somebody miss? Six. Uh, Six, Jesus circumcised on the eighth day. Luke two twenty-one. And then point seven, Jesus presented in the temple on the 40th day. According to Luke 12, Luke 12, 1 through 6, uh, there's a certain time for purification for a woman who's given birth. But there's also uh, a, re- a requirement then for um, the family to make an offering. And we see this happening in Luke 2, 22 through 38. Point eight, now the Magi arrive from Babylon and visit Herod the Great. And of course, this takes us back now to Matthew. Matthew 2, 1-12. So, we have just a few minutes here. I think we can uh, tie this up. We're going to see, back in Matthew 2, 1-12. through 12. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king... Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star, really the word here is rising, we have seen his star rising in the east and have come to worship him. They are the ones that are in the east, and they've identified this star. And of course, they're going to be traveling west from the east, to the west, and so this star is something that is attracting them. Now, there have been many explanations for this star. We'll have uh, all kinds, as a matter of fact, some uh, superb presentations on this. But the fact is, is that this is just not a natural star. Somehow this star has to be so um, uh, extraordinary. It's not just a star that appears to be somewhat brighter And it's not a star that's merged with something else. But this is a star that truly attracts their attention, so much so that they say, this is it, we need to to go. And it's a star that also moves and stops and moves and stops and moves and stops. And we just are unable to explain this, uh, try as we might, other than this is truly a uh, supernatural phenomena. That's what this is. And they say to, they're, they're asking questions when they arrive in Jerusalem. And you'll notice that the star doesn't move and slowly pass over uh, Bethlehem. It stops in Jerusalem. And so that's where they go. And they say, where is this child who was born, the king of the Jews? Well, he's not there, but they're able to find out. When Herod the king heard this, you know, they're probably asking around, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Yes, uh, when Herod hears of another king or someone who might be king, he immediately starts killing people. He's paranoid. So all Jerusalem is, is uh, troubled with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes, they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet and This takes us right back to uh, Micah 5.2. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. So, see, uh, Herod realizes that they've come from a great distance. And what he's trying to determine now is, all right, We know that the child is born in Bethlehem, but how old is this child? So when did the star appear? So he's trying to isolate the uh, the amount of time from the birth to the present day. And it's going to be, as we know, anywhere possibly just short of two years. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the, uh, when they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them. So the star is moving again. So this is not a star that uh, was bright and uh, was somewhere. And again, I, I, you know, I've seen, I can't even tell what city the moon's over in a distance, let alone uh, a star. So this is something that is completely different than what we would probably imagine. Uh, So the star went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. No doubt, it's over a particular house. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child, and here we have not just a baby, it's a Pidea, which is a child, Uh, So, and the child could be actually into the teens with this word, but it's not a baby any longer. It's a child. With Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented to him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And you'll notice that we have three gifts, which is uh, how we believe the tabulation of three wise men, three magi here. Uh, we really don't know how many there were. There may have been uh, more than three. Uh, as a matter of fact, that's many guess that there probably were much more than three. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. So this is the arrival of the Magi from Babylon and their visit with Herod. They see the the, the child, and we're going to see that the angel warns Joseph about uh, Herod's plot to kill Jesus and they leave for Egypt. This is the ninth point in our chronology, which we're not going to have a chance to read, but that's found in Matthew 2:13 through 15. After that, Herod, of course, has learned from the Magi approximately how old the child is, so he decides to kill all the male children in Bethlehem 2 years old and younger. So Herod's slaughter of the children in Bethlehem. That's Matthew 2, 16-18. We then have an angel informing Joseph of Herod's death. And the family returns to Nazareth. Doesn't return to Judea. Doesn't return to Bethlehem. And that's found in Matthew 2, 19-23. And also in Luke 2, 39. And that helps us then with the last category. Where is... Uh, Mary and Joseph when they come down to celebrate the Passover when he's 12 years old and they're up in Nazareth Luke 2 41-52 tells us that Joseph and the family celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem and that's when Jesus is found in the temple and that's all the information we have about the Lord Jesus Christ, his birth and his youth from then we jump really into his ministry when he is at the age of, of 30 approximately 30 but what I wanted to do is just quickly review this uh, on uh, the day of our Lord's birth Uh, number one it answers the question about the chronology it also gives us uh, a little perspective of what was happening in the lives of Mary and Joseph and I think it's you know if you read the text and slow down and, and sort of study it there are questions that you have but there are questions that can be answered by simply piecing the time together. What was Joseph trying to do? And what was actually occurring at various times? Um, And this is, uh, it's not uh, a case of Joseph's poor planning by putting Mary on a donkey and riding her down um, the road up to, you know, up into the hill country, into Bethlehem, when she is um, just ready to deliver. You no, know, I think the planning is much better than that, and I think that they are in a home that they're uh, waiting for uh, for her to deliver the child, but there's just too many people there. And so they move into uh, an area that can be used as a, as a stable area for, for the animals, but what animals were there? We don't know. We're not told. We're not told there were any animals there. Might have been an ox, might have been a donkey, might have been sheep, might have been a camp. We just don't know. Uh, it's likely that there may not have been any during the time that uh, the Christ child was being born. Some could have been brought in later. But anyhow, we've got this uh, wonderful story. And all along the way, you know, God is taking care of them. Taking care of them in, a, in a, an absolutely remarkable way. And... Of course, one of the things that uh, one of the persons who is protected in all this, of course, is Mary. Uh, Joseph, uh, I think, uh, is, as he says, he's identified as a just man. He's not identified as somebody who's uh, hypersensitive about himself, worried about his reputation. Uh, No, he's a just man. And he wants to do what's right. And so the Lord provides an answer for him. And You know, at this time in our our lives, we very often have problems and difficulties, and God will provide answers for us as well. No matter how hopeless a situation might seem, God has solutions. And um, simply uh, prayerfully seeking them, I think we can find them. Well, let me close in prayer, and then we'll also close uh, in our last song. So let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we're thankful for these marvelous texts that tell us, provide us information, facts, probably more than we know, about the uh, events that occurred in and around um, probably 4 B.C. to Mary and Joseph. Um, Otherwise, looking forward to be a normal couple. But you intervened in their lives. You intervened in human history. Just like you intervened in our lives. Maybe certainly not in the same way, Father. But... We can see your hand in history all the time. And this is just another example of that. We pray, Father, that we would be trusting like Mary and Joseph were. And that as you act in our lives, that we would not only be thankful for it, but be uh, in awe of it to the extent that we want to tell others about you and your son and about the eternal life, the greatest gift that you've given us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.